0: Welcome to the Apartment Operators Podcast, where you can learn from experienced operators what it really means to be an apartment operator. No fluff, no sugarcoating, just the raw, unfiltered truth of the ups and downs of operating multifamily communities.
1: Welcome, everybody, to the Apartments Operator Podcast. Today, we have another wonderful guest. For us, Musa is with us. Uh, for us, he's the partner of Ben Settle that used to uh, was a guest on our podcast uh, about a year ago and would love to hear how you guys are doing today and uh, um, what's been going on in the last year. But before that, give our audience just a quick uh, a few minutes about who you are, what you're doing, how your portfolio look like st- looks like today,
0: um, so they'll, they'll have a background. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, Joseph. Definitely appreciate it. Glad to be here. Um, for those that don't know me, you know my background is actually software. You know, I've been doing software all my life. Ever since high school, I had my own little web company and then college happened, then I went worked at Microsoft and left Microsoft had a software company. And now I do real estate. I tell people, you know, I started really, I was looking to invest my own money, right. And learned a lot more about real estate and learned about syndication and loved it because it's people's numbers and systems. And so that's where kind of fast forward a little bit, right. Started Disrupt Equity. Clearly the name Disrupt is kind of a tech spin, right. That's kind of where that originated from. And, you know, I left Microsoft with a vision of building software in industries that don't have it, right. Like real estate. And I've since learned the opportunity is more about tying everything that is the norm in Tech and applying it to industries like real estate, and so that's a big part of what we do and how we've done it, right? At Disrupt Equity, in terms of just leveraging most of the stuff that's out there, but tie it in a way to really make a compelling package. And so today, Disrupt Equity, you know, we've done many deals full cycle. We currently have about fifteen hundred units that we we own and manage right throughout Texas and Atlanta, and then uh, we also have Disrupt Management that does third party management, and that's about twenty five hundred units as well. So. That's maybe another awesome. very short, quick two minute of bio. So happy to kind of drill in anything.
1: Awesome, perfect. So um, I heard you say you have your own management company um, and I heard you say you have 2,500 units under management versus 1,500 that you guys currently control, which means you're doing third party for other people. So we're definitely gonna bite into that one in a few minutes, um, but let's get started with, um, have you always had your own third party management company?
0: No, I mean, we honestly started ours out of necessity, right? We, Like I said, we're in Texas and Atlanta and we've had throughout our history, five different management companies. So we've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. And ultimately to me, management is a very dated business, right? There's not a lot of you know, companies that have really thought through management and modernizing it. And so for us, we started management out of necessity just from the pure neglect that we saw happen on our own properties, right? Just, I mean, clear negligence. And so that's kind of really the, you know, and it's something that we knew we would need at some point, right. You, you know, you will outgrow third-party management if you're not happy with it. And so, you know, that kind of accelerated things and really just brought on our own management. Right. So we met someone that had our own management company, Joseph, you'll know as well as I do management's a hard business, right. Let alone a bad business, but we'll get to that. Right. But it's a hard business in the sense there's so much going on and, you know, you really, it's hard to just, if you're a syndicator or an operator, it's not trivial to go start your own management company. I'll be honest, right? And so for us, you know, we we had someone that had her own management company, took it from zero to 10,000 units before, right? So it's not our first rodeo. And so really that's kind of the brains behind it. And we just jet fuel it and really build up a lot more of the systems and processes. So yeah, we started ours out of necessity right before COVID hit back in January. So that was kind of a, you know, maybe the right time. Because honestly, sometimes I cringe thinking, what would have happened if we were still into third party management, right? So
1: it's amazing how our stories are similar. Mm -hmm. Uh, We took over management February 1st of 2020 and then COVID happened. And then for the first few months, you look around and you think to yourself, that's just the worst possible timing to choose to take over management. That was the worst uh, uh, decision. It's the worst timing. And then you look back at it and you say, so the best thing that could have happened because with the third party there is no way we would have survived no the, i mean they just wouldn't of have COVID. cared for
0: things right like there's there's no thinking outside the box and you know i mean some of these companies are, are borderline criminal too right so i mean they would bleed you to death it's, it's easy and i tell people And I see this because whenever now the third party manager is really interesting because we take over from other management companies and you see the same pattern where the owner puts pressure on the management company, the management company reacts and does a heads in bed, goes, gets temps, goes, gets, you know, whatever. Right. And really jacks up between temps and locators, spends a hundred grand, gets the property occupied. Most people can pay for a month or two. It's hard to find people that'll pay for 12 months. And, you know, you just see that. And so then you, you just see this pattern where, like, you can literally see it in the financials, right? And in the delinquency and in the AP. And then, you know, a few months later, they're pissed. Everybody's pissed. That's whenever they, they bring us in. And then we're having a mop up, right? And, and you know, that's what we saw in our property. That's what i have seen on other people's properties. And well, this is where you kind of, as a property management company, you have to give the owners cold, hard truth. Like, literally, you have to kind of give them the, the information they don't want to know sometime or who want to hear, right? They, sh- they need to know, but don't want to hear it. And really just talking to them about the fact that, you know, hey, here's the right way to do it. It's going to take time. It's not a quick situation, right? And here's the data that shows it. So,
1: yeah, well, it, it, it's hard to realize that when you're on the outside, but when you have 100 or 200 unit property, it can spin out of control and drop 20, 30 percent occupancy in no time, in a matter of yeah. months, but it can take over a year or sometimes years to recover from that three four months of spiral. Yeah, so, um, so, so it's hard
0: to see that from the outside. Oh, it's but, so true. And then I'll give you a real case study, right? A deal that we third party managed took over portfolio for this client, and you know, on one of the deals they closed on it in the spring. Right, four months later, they took we took over. And I ran the numbers for them. I'm like, so here's the numbers, you know, and this, I I ran these numbers four months after takeover. So about eight months after they close on it. And I'm like, the previous management company moved in 54 people of the 54 people, 23 of them are, you know, large or have been evicted or skipped. The other 23 of them are large balanced delinquent. So 80% of it is garbage. And I can't really say, look, our occupancy is not as high as it was before because we're having to cycle all that people, but we're collecting more money, right? So the numbers speak for themselves and really, and just explain, hey, you know, it's not trivial to replace 54 people on top of renewals on top of leasing. So it's a, it's a whole system and it takes, to your point, it's easy to destroy a property in two, three months. It really is. And, and also destroy it in a way that as an owner, right? Like I felt like we did a good job in asset management. We were all over things. And what I realized in hindsight is most major companies don't even track what they're spending and you don't realize it until two months later, right? Whereas for us, I'm anal about the team creating POs, creating invoices. And we know beforehand, right? And even on that same deal, there was about $200,000 of new AP that came in after we took over. That was never on any books. And so as an owner, you think, hey, they're doing an okay job. They're not spending that much money. But then as kind of the dust settles, you see all these problems. And so,
1: Yeah, and, and again, when it's not their money, then the, the spend is is loose. Right. Uh, uh, well, the maintenance guy said we need a hose. This is a true case, right? The maintenance guy said we need a new hose, so we're gonna go buy a new hose. Uh, but we just bought one last week. What happened to it? Well, the other maintenance guys have it, and I don't know where they are. So I'm gonna get a new hose. It's like no, that's not how it works. Uh, but that's when it's not your money and it's not nobody cares. Then yeah, take that on a, on a two thousand dollar
0: jetting machine. So yeah. I know what you're talking about.
1: Um, yeah, so I, I have stories like that as well. But uh, um, what I, I like hearing from you, and, and, and this is really kind of echoes with our experience, is um, the care. Now, what I found is that the industry compensation model for property management is just wrong. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't have the solution, right? Because I've been trying to rack my brain around what's the right way to do it. And I don't have a solution. If I had a solution, I would be a billionaire, I'm I'm guessing. Right. But the challenge is that they get paid off the top and they get paid a very small percentage. But as an owner, the interests are not there. So, for example, uh, we had a property where, long story short, $25,000 a year were not billed or collected. Well, of course, if it's not billed, you can't collect, right? for us, $25,000 a year at a six cap is about half a million dollars worth of value to the property. So the ownership look at this is like, Oh, my God, it's $25,000 a year. It's a lot of money for the management company. $25,000 a year at 4% is a 1000 bucks, 100 bucks, it's 80 bucks a month, three hours of work for one employee. So if that in order to get that $25,000 a year requires more than three hours worth of work from an employee. It's not worth their time.
0: No, I agree with you. This, and this is the problem. Okay, so this is I still struggle with this because, you know, for us, we're super transparent on our fee structure. That's by design, right? Like I'm an owner and it's got the disrupt name to it. So I really care a lot about the brand and everything else. And what I've seen is that the industry sucks because the margins are razor thin. And therefore, most managed companies will pack anything and everything that's pretty questionable into the financials, right? Because again, I mean, you know, three hundred thousand comes in, two hundred thousand goes out. I mean, it's right, and you know, they're they're so they're really making their revenue on other things other than the management fee. And whenever you're very transparent and your revenue really is the management fee, you know, it's a hard sometimes a hard 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 to explain. To owners like look yeah, you know, we're maybe a quarter of a point higher, but really like that is all we're taking. Like we're not, you know, taking all these other points that these companies make up a marketing fee and this fee and not doing anything for it, right? So yeah. it's a it's a weird business in the sense that I, I'm surprised the margins are as tight as they are, because it really, I mean, it, the margins are razor thin for a business yeah. that is, you know, really so complicated. Honestly, it's complicated, but there's just so many things that have to happen, so.
1: Yeah. But it really, it's the margins are where they cut the corners. Unfortunately, that's the problem. Instead of having a qualified accountant doing the work, they have somebody that is not certified, that does not have accounting education. And a lot of the time they mess things up, right? So um, one of the things that uh, one of the property management companies we, we fired uh, before we took over, um, they, I used to say they're playing pay lease roulette. It's like every month they spin the wheel to figure out where they're going to put the Bailey's fees under which ledger account and you would find them randomly across all the ledger accounts. So it's kind of like that's the kind of things where they cut corner to make a little bit more money. Um, and like I said, I think the compensation model should be different. Um, I wish I had the formula for how there's not a
0: clear way to do it, right? I mean. You know, yeah, it's tough because even on, you know, like, okay, everyone says the, the golden thing is NOI, but it's also easy just to say everything is capitalized and now you've kind of fudged with that. Or you know, you're doing a property that needs 10 times more focus because it's a big turnaround, right? Well, I mean, that also can't be NOI driven, right? It's not fair to the management
1: company. So. And if you're also focusing on NOI, nobody would ever take over a distressed property.
0: You know, that's exactly it. That's what I mean. There, Those things need so much work, right? I mean, so, yeah. and you know, and when we, NOI and is
1: negative or zero It's like, you're not going to take it over because you're not going to yeah make and then that's
0: where even like you know as a management company there's a the big difference between getting a property brand new that just got acquired and having a clean slate versus taking over from a you know previous management company right the client's already been as as the, the jackie the president of our management company like say they've already been burned by their girlfriend so yeah. now you know you're the next one up and they're already antsy and they're, you know, questioning everything and just, you know, they, you start off with an uphill battle of everything. They're probably in a payable situation. They're probably cash neglected. They probably, you know, are gonna have, you know, just delinquency problems and turning units and getting, you know, just cycling tenant base. Plus, you know, they've already lost trust and confidence in management, so you have to regain that. So, I mean, it's like, to me, those are very different situations and it's really hard to, to jump into one, whereas the other one's a lot more straightforward. So yeah, it's a weird business, I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome.
1: So um, so I get to ask you questions that I don't usually get to ask uh, most of our guests because they don't have their own management company. Um, It's usually we found that once our guests have crossed the thousand or fifteen hundred units threshold, that's where they start to think or implement their own property management company. Um, So but but you have that perspective, so it's awesome. So we can start talking about that. So we had a similar situation to what you described earlier. We had a property that in in a certain period of time, I I don't remember, four or five months, we moved in 58 people, we moved out 55 people, right? At an average of about, let's say, $2,000 a turn, if you include payroll and everything into it, um, that's $100,000 invested for a net positive three. Yeah. right. That's a lot of churning, that's a lot of trying to, you know, you have that nice ocean background. I'm, the, I'm, the I'm scared to go.
0: Yeah. And I'm scared to go do that same number on deals that we had before we did over management too, because I'd probably cry a little bit. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so you look at this thing and you say, what are we doing? Right. We spent a hundred thousand dollars for net positive three. That doesn't work. And, and that usually happens because everybody's looking at the front door and what comes in and traffic and leasing, but nobody watches the back door. Right, so there's a little bit on the front door, making mm-hmm. sure that you screen a little bit better and you qualify a little bit better, uh, but there's a lot on the back door. right? It's a lot. There's I mean, that person that made it
0: to that, and that person that made it to that back door has already proven themselves, right? They already they've already been there for twelve months, right? Yep. No, I think a lot of these companies are very reactive about just renewals. Man, I, I'm pretty particular about renewals. And we track that in our weekly report and just front and center. Because to your point, if I could save that, I mean, you know, and some owners, and it depends on what the strategy is, right? But for guys that are in it for the cash flow, they're gonna be in the deal for many years, right? They're not in it to just to show, look, I got the top dollar lease in my market for the last five leases. Therefore, the next guy can hypothetically get that, right? Take that off the table. I mean, to your point, I can not have a unit vacant for a month and have to go release it and save the two grand, right? I mean, and maybe, maybe I, you know, I don't go up an extra twenty five dollars a month of rent, but guess what? Twenty five times twelve, that's three hundred dollars a year. I've already saved four x that in the turns, and so, yeah, it's it's painful. And this is where I tell people there is a cost to moving in low quality people, the time that the property, the unit sits vacant, and the just the headache of getting that personnel, getting the unit turned. Because the other thing too, and I'm sure you've experienced this, because again, I've experienced it on our own assets, is it's so much work to get a property from 85 to 95, right? But, if you, but staying at 95 is cruise control, right? Because again, you're psyched, because now you have so many more turns, so many more leases, so many, versus, hey, once it's kind of stabilized, you're just renewing, you're moving in a few people, you're cycling a few units. It's less work for everybody. And there's yeah. a cost to that too. Exactly. So Yeah.
1: So let's talk about that. How do you guys in your organizations for your own properties and for your third party, what do you guys do to kind of watch the back door? The, or in other words, to increase retention?
0: Yeah, I mean, we I, I'm pretty particular about they, they start renewals three months in advance and we grill them. It's literally front and center data point. And I even have property level report cards internally that we go through all these all these key metrics. And every time I think of something, I'm like, hey, that's actually a good data point and get that added to the report card. But really tracking this stuff three months in advance, working the renewals and then figuring out different incentives, right? And really kind of letting managers know, hey, you have the flexibility to close this person, right? Here's your range to kind of get it done because there really is a mathematical, you know, min and max that you need to renew that person at. And so they just need to land in there somewhere, right? And everybody's happy. And so you start at the top and then you kind of you know, just taper down. But to me though, it's, you can't re, you can't do renewals 30 days out. You already lost that person, man. Well, I mean, you know, people that are quality people are gonna already have a plan within 30 days. They're not gonna, you know, hey, 20 days. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to move out in 20 days. Yeah, I'll stay. Like that's not gonna happen. So really working it early on, getting the managers to kind of have that range and incentivize the managers too, right? We pay for renewals, right? I mean, cause again, there is a cost to that. And even educating the staff at how much life they're easier how much life they're easier, how much easier their life will be if they get the renewals, right? Yeah. Because again, that means, Hey, guess what? That's one less thing for you to turn. Hey, guess what? Maintenance guide. I that mean, that's one less thing for you to turn, right? It's just easier for everybody. And so we, we put a big focus on it in general, right? In terms of just really working it and every week going through, Hey, what's our renewal and what's the status on each one of these guys.
1: Okay. So our philosophy is that it, renewal doesn't start 30 days or 90 days out right renewal is something that is a full year thing if they had a shitty moving experience they're not going to renew it doesn't matter what you do 90 days out right if they don't get their maintenance request done on time they're not going to renew if uh, the maintenance guy came in once in the entire year but left the apartment dirty with mud on the floor right they're going to have really bad taste in their mouth and it's going to be hard to overcome it so uh, the way we look at it is like, from the moment they move in, we work on the renewal, right? Yeah, we focus that, on retention.
0: You bring up a good point, and that's actually probably something I, I, I just kind of glossed over. I mean, you're absolutely right. It start it's it's about in the end of the day, you are providing a service to the tenants. You have to realize that, right? The renewal is the carrot, but again, if they're already pissed off, it's already an uphill battle. And it's funny you mentioned the move, and I learned that trick from our first asset manager that we had many years ago, right? Whenever he would go on site. He would actually you know this is whenever we're still third party he would ask them for their last 10 move-in condition reports because guess what if a tenant is complaining like i got a hole here this is a you know their moving condition shows the quality of the unit well you already started that relationship on a sour footing yeah. right and so for us we we actually do have a process for basically you know after people move in 30 60 90 days we do follow-ups to figure out just what's going on what's painful what's not and then just tracking those work orders and just really being particular about that because yeah, i mean you hit it on the head right if they're happy the price is the last thing that kind of really, you know, you got to go home run, but you got to keep it, them satisfied beforehand.
1: Okay, awesome. So um, th- you kind of started to mention that in, in, in the last few minutes about reports and KPIs. So how does it look like for you working with your team? Um, as I'm guessing you still do the asset management side of things, right? Uh, so, so take off your manager hat off and put your asset manager off for a second. And how does it look like working with your team? Uh, how often do you talk to them? What are you looking at? And how do you encourage them or steer yeah. them?
0: Yeah, so for us, you know, it's a good question. For us, we started our management company with the plan of it being third party. And I treat it as an independent entity, really, in the sense that our asset manager's office is over there. <laughs> Property manager's down this way. And, you know, they are two different people. Right. And they very much they still go on the weekly calls, The calls are all recorded. I still listen to them whenever I feel like it and, you know, expect them to still have that separation. It's not a big blur and I really don't want it to be a blur because I want this guy picking on this guy if he needs to and vice versa. Right. There needs to be kind of a healthy banter, healthy candor there. And so it's very much the asset manager has the things that he's focused on. What are we getting on renewals? How much did we get on renewals? What did we get on premiums? What are we spending to get these upgrades like really, you know, doing asset management level functions? all the property managers focusing on property management things. Are we collecting what we're supposed to do? We have the processes for anything and everything, right? And really, you know, doing operation level thing. And so they are two separate things. And then, you know, we sync. you know, Ben, and it's funny, me and Ben have divided up too, right? Where he syncs with the asset manager. It's kind of helping kind of lead that charge while I'm unfortunately stuck on the property. I didn't really help him build that out because that business got, there's so much process and stuff to build there. Right. And so, yeah. you know, that kind of keeps it separated to some sense too. Right. And then, you know, him could be the continuity of, you know, where we got to make everybody happy, keep everybody aligned kind of thing too. So.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So, um, you mentioned you do you have about a thousand if the math is out, about a thousand units to do third
0: party for um, third party. I mean, by the, so I guess one thing I didn't mention is we do not manage our, our Atlanta portfolio. So that is, you know, we, we, no. we have not taken over Atlanta or anything like that. So that, so we, we third party about 2000 and that's, you know, we'll have a few more coming up here in the pipeline. And then of that, you know, it's 2000 third party, a thousand, our first party, I guess, that's what you call it. Right. So, okay. uh, so, um, why <laughs> why why third party why why okay, take, the, why take
1: somebody else's headache right i know it's we got cornered, question. we got cornered to do our own management and you know i took the pain because i had to right it's our properties our investors I, i'll do whatever i have to do but why take other people's headache
0: it's a good question because i ask myself that every day almost i'm like man it's it's a hard business in a lot of ways but it helps me manage my properties better right and what i mean by that is it gives me scale scale of resources scale of you know back end and being able to have more reach across the ecosystem right i can mm-hmm. see more deals i know what deals are having probably you know you see more you hear more just by the the access you have and so it gives me operational efficiencies right in terms of hey if we're doing an upgrade instead of buying you know i'm the kind of guy that once we have enough scale in the market Rather than buying, you know, 150 faucets to upgrade 150 units, I'll go buy a container of faucets and do it across, you know, get a couple of other buy-ins from other owners saying, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy a container. It's going to cost this. We're going to charge this premium for doing this, being very candid, transparent. But ultimately, you're, you know, instead of paying Home Depot 20, you're getting it for 15. Are you happy with that? Yay, nay, let's go do it kind of thing. So I think it gives us economies of scale. I can go get, you know, to your point, if you're managing 400 units, that's, what three properties maybe three four and i don't know the size but ultimately you can only get a landscaper to bid three four properties whereas if i have 15 properties in the market i have a lot more influence which ultimately results in better management for my own assets right better performance better pricing for my own assets as well as third party so it's almost like it's like it's a necessary evil sometimes because with scale it gives you other both problems but other benefits and so you know if a manager leaves you can shuffle people around a lot more effectively right whereas if you only have three properties manager leaves you've lost one-third of your leadership right yeah things like that to kind of you know think about because the other problem too actually i'll say this and i think this is funny and you'll probably appreciate that the problem with management right is really a good manager quickly becomes a supervisor or regional right and a bad manager doesn't stay there very long and so that role is always a role that's like a you know, yeah. the good, very rarely do people stay in managers, right? They're it's good, the they go up, oh, they're bad, they're gone. And so it's a, well, it's a, one,
1: one little trick that uh, we found uh is good for a manager position is to find an older supervisor that wants to take a step down.
0: You hit it right on the head and we have two exact situations of those. That's the and, best, that's the best for a no, property absolutely manager position. And, so, and it's funny because we did that and then, that manager now we kind of talked her into being a super because she's really really good right yeah. and so now we're like look we'll keep it you know we will reduce the travel but like that's a, that worked out amazing on one of our properties and now we have that again and then there's a question of well can you have a a person that is a manager but you know regional material they kind of supervise another manager right to where they're almost like a remote yeah, site supervisor, manager, right? yeah. was you know so yeah um, we're, a i'm trying man. to figure yeah. those dynamics out but to your point that is the best one right the one that you Know they don't need to make as much money, they just want stability simplicity. Yeah, and yeah, they
1: don't want to take down the travel. They just want to know. We yeah. had
0: one that just whipped the property like night and day in 60 days. Amazing what, what was done on that property! So, like, just cleaned it. So, yeah, yeah that's, send, send her our way. Uh- so, I'll trade you. One, right. <laughs> um, uh, no, that that's yeah, that's funny that you said that because a little that's been that was in the back of my head last week. I'm like, this is the best kind of supervisor or manager, so.
1: Yeah, no, and, and again, it's it's a, it's kind of like a, a, um, a, a weird situation in our business, right? We buy 5, 10, 15 million dollar properties, and we end up putting a 40 or $50,000 pay grade to run the show.
0: Yeah. Uh, but the finances can't afford having a $100,000 Because making 50, 60, $100,000 decisions each month. <laughs> like, yes. Like, and one, like, it, it's it's crazy to me, and this is, yeah. yeah, but, yeah, but that's like just
1: across the industry. That's the standard, right? Um, I haven't seen a lot of uh, properties where you have $100,000 managers on them. Uh, definitely not in Texas. No, so, the, and that's, that's the kind of things uh, are, are, again, more of the challenges of the industry. So um, let's switch to some of the questions that we ask all of our uh, guests, right? So uh, you guys do a lot of value, add, right? From the eyes of an operator, and now and you have both the manager and the asset manager and the property manager uh, perspective Uh, uh, we're going to look at income and we're going to look at expense separately so let's focus on income for a second what are your go-to methods to increase income that is not increasing rents and applying ropes right everybody does that Mm -hmm. give us a few creative ways where you guys found you can add value and, and charge more
0: yeah, no. so there's there's some things that people like like one property we got this idea from a property we bought and took over like simple things like a tech package man you spend 150 200 and some people will pay 50 dollars a month for that that is a very very good roi right what is the, like,
1: what's in the package
0: oh you're putting in like a nest thermostat you're putting in a uh, august door front lock and uh what's the third thing i'm missing oh like usb outlets like very simple things to do it takes a maintenance guy 45 minutes, an hour all in, it's really the equipment, but then people will pay you that premium. And I've seen that, right? Um, other things, you know, that are easy are carports, right? Like really being smart and really, we like to do three tiers of parking, right? Kind of having, I forget the terms that we use, but essentially there's cover, there's premium and there's standard, right? So premium is that spot that everybody always wants. It's right next to the, the, the you know, their, their apartment. It's, you know, I can see it from their balcony, whatever, right, you know, people will pay for that spot right even if it's nominal right i think what we are good at is actually really pushing the other income piece right and you know i mean you hit the, the easiest ones are the rubs like that one is just easy right yeah. but then really digging in and i like to really look at what else can i do from what capex can i put in what can i get out of it right um there's other you know there's other nominal fees that you do see here and there right like valet trash right i'm starting to see more of that even on the the BEC properties Right. And I think it's as an operator, it's valuable because, you know, the thing I hate the most is going to properties and people put their trash all over the dumpster. It's just, you know, and then the dumpster company, they do their own, you know, they really be (laughs) anal with them because those guys will just throw whatever and they'll charge you premiums because, Oh, we did an extra load. And I think there's actually, as an operator, there's a way to structure that to where it's a win-win, right? You get a much better cleaner property. You're maybe making a few bucks on it as well. And then for a tenant, Hey, you know, it's a much more simple process, right? Um, That's another one we're looking at a lot more closely. Um, Even simple things, man, just rebidding the contracts, right? Like we literally did that big push this past couple of months. And, you know, like even the the trash contract, we got it 17% lowered just by spending the, you know, three hours to do it or the laundry contract that they say they're paying you. And then you go and you realize there's a big lawsuit against the company. And then once you kind of send them a demand letter all of a sudden they send you 15 checks for what you owed right things like that that people don't track and all this stuff starts to add up um i'm trying to think of other big noi boosts that i've seen i mean the really the tech one is the one i like the most lately right where it's very it's very cheap and very quick bang for the buck yeah
1: any other big ones
0: that you like i'm gonna ask you the same question that i'm missing here
1: well listen to our podcast and you'll find Uh a lot of those (laughs) right now um yeah, no, it's, uh, um, uh, what we've seen is that a lot of the time people just split the rents based on layouts, right? This is a two bedroom, this is a one bedroom, this is three bedroom, this is the price for one, two, and three. But mm-hmm. there are not only tiers, but there's like first floor, second floor. Yes. Uh, does it have a patio? doesn't have a patio. Um, does it have washer-dry connections? No dry washer-dry connections, right? Mm-hmm. All those little things allows you to... Set different prices for different units, and that, and again, goes back to what we talked about earlier a third party doesn't take the time to do all this because it takes time and they don't see the ROI um, with the way the compensation is structured. But for us, doing something like this can really help us push the rents. And again it's not like uh because it's first floor it's $500 more than the second floor no. but it could be as simple as $10 $20 It absolutely adds up. No, I mean we do, the,
0: we do the exact same thing. I mean the first floor I mean you hit the key one I'm trying to think of the different we even have like ones that are like one ones with like a study that are really like two ones and not I mean And I don't know how you guys do it. If you do it as a floor plan or you do it as a, like an amenity on the unit, right? For us, we've kind of played with both because as an owner, I like to see what am I getting in upgrades for them, right? So seeing it as a separate floor plan is a lot easier than seeing, okay, our ones have these different checks, but then each one is a little different. You have to drill in. Yeah, I've struggled with what the best way to do that is. But I mean, to your point, that's low hanging fruit, right? Doing those kinds of things. And even other, I mean, I guess it's thought of another one just, I like properties where I can figure out a way to add a bedroom, right? <laughs> like the converges, like those are the best. I mean, I'm not even kidding you. Like we have one where it's little these one bedrooms with a study and literally I had a freaking thing. I put a corner closet and boom now, and it's actually already got a window. So it's really a real bed. Yeah. Now I've gotten that, you know, premium for getting a two, but really it's, it was a one to start with. Um, one other one I do like, and it only works on certain properties. We've done this a few times now is getting, you know, Properties all have balconies, but finding balconies where you actually can get the enclosure, right? And give them essentially a little bit of a yard, right? People yep. pay up for that. We've got $125 premiums for that. So,
1: Yeah, and and the way I like to look at where do I spend the money is the, by looking at the researchers that tell me what are people looking for. So um, up until last year, look, uh, the number one search item was pet friendly. So if you go on any of our uh, property website and you look at amenities for the community, pet friendly is the top one. Why? Because that's what everybody care about. Well, having a little yard is super important for people that have pets, right? Because you can let the dog out or the cat out without being afraid that, you know, they'll just run away or, or get hurt somehow. So, um, uh, so again, I tell the, the girls in the office, you know, when you post for this property that have, or for this unit that has the balcony, make sure you talk about pet friendly. Make sure you talk about the yeah. fact that it has a private backyard. So it comes down to all the little things uh, across the board.
0: And you mean you you made me think of a really good one actually that we do. It's also auditing who who's really paying the pet feed and who's not, right? That one is an easy well, revenue source, right? Well, Where like you know everything. It's what's not that? just. Auditing everything. auditing everything but the pet one is easy where we do quarterly inspections as part of that you make a note if there's a pet and guess what someone that already has a pet, you hit them with a pet fee they're they're more likely to pay the pet fee than get rid of the pet of <laughs> so i mean uh, you know there's always the
1: conversation like i don't have a pet well here's a picture yeah no because right? i walk the property i take pictures right and you always find a cat or a dog in the window kind of with the face smushed uh, mm-hmm. uh, so we also have so we have, of course, quarterly uh, pest control. So when the pest control guy comes in, there's always one of our guys walking with him to open the doors. Right? We don't send a vendor to the units without one of our ma- with one of our team members. So we give our team member a sheet to check the boxes: who has pets, who is neglecting the unit, who has a, any major issue that we don't know of. Because unfortunately, what we learned is that. Uh, some residents will take a lot of pain and not talk and will not complain. And even when you ask them, they will not tell you. So we had a slab leak in one of our properties and we sent messages, text messages and emails because we couldn't find the leak outside. So we knew it's in under one of the units and mm-hmm. we asked anybody, if you have a leak, let us know and nobody said anything. And then eventually we found it in one of the units. They literally lived with a soaked, warm water-soaked carpet and said nothing for over a week. It's kind of like, are you kidding me? So um, so um, we encourage our residents to tell us. We always do follow-ups on all of the work quarters to make sure they were done. We have quarterly surveys. We talk to every resident once a quarter to get their the feedback, general feedback about the property. Um, and then we... Send our guy with the pest control guy to check the boxes, right? If the smoke alarm is chirping, if there's a pet in the unit, and all that. But what I, especially if you are an operator that works with a third party property management, audit everything. That $25,000 a year I mentioned was a fee that was not charged, even though it was in the lease, it was just not put into the system. And without doing your ledger audits every month to make sure that everybody got charged everything, um, then, then you won't be able to get that.
0: Yeah. And we're talking about tens
1: like, of thousands of dollars a year.
0: Yeah, And it's funny because like on the buy side, you do see the discrepancies. Like some deals you see and you're like, man, these guys are minting other income. Whereas like other properties you see, you're like, this is a very similar property. And there's a $300,000 discrepancy. And so yeah. pennies adds up into real money. And I yep. uh, agree with you hundred percent.
1: Absolutely. So let's flip the conversation to the expense side, right? What do you guys do in order to reduce expenses in your portfolios?
0: So uh, the biggest thing I like to tell people is you can spend, I'm making up numbers, 40 hours on expense control and you can spend 40 hours on income control. And nine times out of 10, income is easier to get your pop than the expense side, right? That's uh, the biggest thing we do on the expense side that I think makes a huge difference because we've been burned by this with managing companies is, requiring, and I have this weekly, and it's in our report, card, requiring POs to get made independent of the invoices coming in, right? Because you don't want managers just reacting, oh, I've got an invoice, I'm going to go create the PO, right? It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But really forcing that, and then the other piece tied to that is really forcing our maintenance. Whenever a unit, someone leaves a the unit, they have to go in and basically take a photo audit of the whole thing, right? Then they have to go put in their POs of what they want to do. A back office person gets to see okay here's what they a we also we also tie that to what did we charge on security deposits right because it's easier for someone to just give back security deposit than actually try to fight for it right we have a separate team that actually audits the security deposits tied to the photos the condition of the unit right but more importantly though the the maintenance guy puts together the po i want to buy new flooring i want to do uh you know a new uh microwave i don't want to paint the walls back office sees it and says that flooring does not need to be replaced like where's the it looks fine right like okay maybe you replace one piece but you don't need to spend 15 200 you know $2,000 to replace the whole thing right so that's one immediate way to save it and then also whenever the unit's ready they have to go do the same photo audit so you yeah, have before and after of every single unit you have POs and you know what should have been spent on it. and even on the after you can see that the microwave get installed or did it get stolen right yeah and then that's yeah. its own set of problems so really to your, it's what you said earlier right the really tapering down the back door problem right not just from a renewal but even whenever you do have to go do the turn really controlling that story right that's one thing another one that we do is actually just across looking at t12s I have a separate report where we're looking at just variances right and just seeing are we seeing an uptick in water or utilities like we see that like you know, literally have that situation right now where we're seeing an increase month to month which doesn't really tie to occupancy it's been the same occupancy so there's something else going on there and so just being aware of those because i mean utilities is where you really can get killed as well like that's a big area that actually is worth focusing on on the expense side of things
1: yeah so and maybe those are
0: some of the biggest ones that kind of come to mind that i like or maybe the most exciting ones i'll leave it at that
1: <laughs> yeah so, so when you mentioned the water and uh, what one thing that we like to do is we track the meters every week Because if you're waiting to see the uptick in your water bill, you're about a month and a half too late, right? So if we start seeing an uptick in one of the water meters, then we know we have a slab leak or we have a leak somewhere and we go and we hunt it down so we can shut it down as soon as possible. So worst case, we have a week, week and a half loss of water versus a month and a half loss of water, not to
0: mention the all the damage that leaky water can create digital water meters with internet access are worth their waiting gold. Well, they're they're pennies and i log into them because there's one property where we have a serious water leak somewhere and it's killing us like it's you know and it's a it's a thing that you know we, we knew the property had it when we bought it because we have two properties not far from each other mm-hmm. one's got 50 more units but it's got almost 2.5x the water bill like it's just there, literally the per unit on that is like $150 a unit of water, you know. And we've been we've gotten water leak detection companies and all sorts of stuff. But I, it's been fun to because I log into that thing like every two days. I just think about it. I'm like, let us go see what it's. There. And it's been nice to see the trend down because we're fixing random leaks, just any yeah. and every leak that we can find. Mm-hmm. But there's still something bigger somewhere happening. <laughs> That's a separate problem. But yeah, I mean those things are cheap and, and absolutely worth it.
1: Yeah. Well, we can talk after the the show. Uh, I've had so many plumbing, uh, uh, lessons learned in the last year and a half. Uh, uh-huh. I'll be happy to share with you. Um, awesome. So, um, kind of be conscious of your time. Um, again, a question we ask all of our, uh, uh, guests on the show, if you could go back 10, 15 years ago to the software engineer, uh, for us and say, Hey, I got a, I got a really good tip for you. Right. And, I' uh, the obvious one, two thousand and nine is the bottom by everything. That's uh-huh. off the table. So if you can't say that, what do you give uh, younger you as a No, advice?
0: I would say it's it's more of a general thing. I don't want to tie it to real estate, but it's really be leery of building your your brand and your CRM right throughout your life. Right? You know, you, you in the syndicator side, you start to build your database once you kind of want to go into that. But sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I had done this. 10 years more in my life, especially me. I mean, I was exposed to so many tech people, so much in that space. And I, you know, just I wish I had been better at building that brand, you know, continuing to build that database throughout my life. Right. So that's maybe the the easiest one. Right. I mean, you know, there's a million other things that you could say, oh, you know, this stock, that stock. But I mean, a real life tip is that one, I think, you know, no better time than today than someone can start today. Right. I don't need to know when the next Google is, this is a totally different thing, right? To, yeah, so. no, that's a great
1: tip. That's a really great tip. Uh, um, building your brand and, and start building your
0: potential investor database. Yeah, right? and, you're all, um, and I would say it's your audience awesome. of whatever you do, right, whether yeah. it's, it could be investors, it could be customers, right? If I decide to go sell cupcakes, I yeah. have a database I go sell cupcakes to, whatever, right? So, Absolutely, awesome,
1: thank you so much. Uh, Where can our listeners find you if they want to reach out, they want to invest with you or they want to hire you as a third-party manager? Where can they find you? And we'll put all the links in the show notes.
0: Now, please, uh, DisruptEquity.com or send me an email at Ferris, f e r a s at DisruptEquity.com.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I think you brought a lot of value. Thanks Uh, for having me. Absolutely. And for you, the listener, if you want to listen more uh, to our episodes, Go to iTunes, uh, uh, Stitchers, SoundCloud, whatever you take your podcast and subscribe and leave us a feedback that is really important for us. Thank you so much and we'll see you soon again. Thank you for listening to our show.
0: If you want to enjoy more episodes, please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. For questions or feedback, please visit our
1: site at www.aptopr.com.